Well, how many of you like sharks? I don't mean like you like to swim and play with sharks. I mean you like watching sharks. You like, you know, Discovery Channel's Shark Week, right? If you like me, you don't like sharks up close, but you like to view their activity behind some protected glass, you know, preferably a TV screen. And so my sons and I, we like watching, um, you know, Shark Week. We like watching the Discovery Channel. And so as we were wa- watching um, this, the week of programming uh, on sharks, I, I couldn't help but think back to my childhood uh, uh, about those great classic movies, Jaws. Did anybody see Jaws growing up? I think there's about 12 different you know, uh, installments of, of Jaws, but I think specifically about those earlier versions of Jaws. Now, growing up, we couldn't watch a whole lot of stuff. My parents really filtered the content of what we watched, but for some reason, <laughs> some reason we can watch, you know, a murderous shark, you know, like tear people apart. They didn't see any reason why we couldn't watch that. So we, we, we really loved watching the, the Jaws movies. And so we would watch these sharks just kind of creep up on these people and just sort of tear them apart. It was one of the most amusing things that was on television. But I often wondered as a kid, like, like why aren't they, like, getting out of the way? Like, don't they hear that music? And, you, you know, you, you, <laughs> you know when Jaws was coming close because, you know, you'd hear that music. But then as I got older, it occurred to me that that music was for our pleasure and that they couldn't hear the music. But that was one of the distinguishing things about when Jaws was, you know, the water was otherwise pretty placid pretty calm, people are smiling, treading the water beautifully, and then all of a sudden, this shark comes. Now, of course, they can't hear the music, but what was one of the things that really let them know when they were near a shark or when a shark was coming near, right? That shark would sort of come up out of the water, and you would see, uh, what do you call it, the, the dorsal fin come out of the water, and usually by the time you saw that, it was too late, but that was one of the distinguishing marks of that shark. And so I think, uh, I have to think about this, and I think, one of the, I think the same thing is true in our life as Christians, right? I think there ought to be, we ought to have marks. We ought to have distinguishing things about us, such that if a person were to get up on us, or we were to start approaching somebody, they might see that there are some distinguishing things, things that set us apart, things that make us different, things that make us someone other than the world around us, particularly those who don't enjoy a rich and satisfied satisfying life with Jesus. And I can be here all day just sort of listing the distinguishing marks of Christians. I could talk about integrity. I could talk about joy. I could talk about generosity. I could talk about patience. Really, I could run down the entire uh, list of the fruits of the Spirit that is contained in Scripture. But I won't do that this morning. But one of the distinguishing marks of a follower of Jesus, frankly one that I think is suspiciously absent for many of us who call ourselves Christians, is the distinguishing mark of servanthood. The distinguishing mark of servanthood. Too many Christians choose to do without being a servant. Do without being a servant. And I would submit to you, hopefully in plain language today, that one of the distinguishing marks of being a Christian, that is the distinguishing mark of somebody who says that they follow Jesus, is that that person will be in measurable, observable ways, that person will be a servant. Um, I was at a funeral service this week for a pastor who just sort of died suddenly just a week ago. It was Pastor Bernard Pulliam. He pastors a church, I believe his church is in Blue Island. 
And Bernard was a dear friend of our family, and, uh, you know, I was at his funeral. And, you know, I think that when you die, people feel compelled to say good things about you, even if you weren't that great of a person. Uh, but I've been to many funerals, and I can just sort of tell when what people are saying is genuine, and what they're saying about the deceased is actual and not just sort of a nice thing that you do at funerals. And one of the things that person after person after person said about this great man who met an untimely uh, death was that he was a servant. And the pastor that was giving his eulogy said that the world counts greatness by how many people that serve you. But he continued by saying that God counts greatness by considering how many people you serve. I'll say that again. The world counts greatness by considering how many people serve you, right? We see somebody who's important. Well, they've got servants. They've got armor bearers. They've got, you know, butlers. They've got people, you know, waiting on them hand and foot. But I've just been conditioned to watch the really great men and women that walk this earth, many of them followers of Jesus, and I've seen that the distinguishing mark that marks them as a follower of Jesus, that marks them as a great person, is that these people have a commitment to serve. And so I want to talk about serving today. I want to get super practical with this because I think all of God's truths, if they're going to be meaningful to us, they need to be practical. And so it doesn't matter what age, what place, the station of life you are, we are called to be servants. And so I've simply called this talk this morning a call to serve. A call to serve. And who issues that call? Jesus himself, our Lord and Savior. So we can look at a passage of Scripture this morning. John chapter 13. Turn there with me in your phones. For those of you uh, who don't have a phone or don't bring your own Bible with you today, there are Bibles on the edges of your row. Feel free to use one of those Bibles as we walk through the passage today. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, at home, you're more than welcome to take one of those Bibles as a gift from us to you. John chapter 13. Before I begin this morning, let me pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to stand before your people and to bring your word. Lord, would you uh, help us to be servants? Would you teach us what that looks like? And Father, I ask that you would be with us today as we study your word. And also, Lord, I'd just like to pause this morning and pray that your peace and your comfort would visit the families of those who lost loved ones this week, particularly those uh, Marines who were killed in an act of, a terrible act of domestic uh, terrorism. Father, I pray that your peace would comfort those families, Lord, and I even pray that your word would go right now to the young man who, who um, committed uh, those terrible crimes, Lord, and I just ask that each and every person involved would receive your peace right now. But, Lord, for us here today, Lord, would you put power on these words that you've given me to speak. May these words come to life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John chapter 13, we're going to start at verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that his time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted prompted, excuse me, Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured out water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, do you, re- do you not realize how 
realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you should never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he, knew he was going to, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. Verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Again, I'll read that last verse. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you hear them. No, if you do them, right? So Jesus is driving this point home. And so here's Jesus. He's, 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 he's in the company of his 12 disciples, and he's hanging out with these guys as he often does. And he's reclining at this table, and they're sharing a meal. Um, this is something that he often did. And he's using this opportunity to teach them a valuable lesson. Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Lord. But one of his main jobs is he's a discipler, right? And so we've been looking a lot at, a lot at the person of Jesus, the works uh, that he did, and the time he spent teaching these guys how to carry on uh, the work of the kingdom after Jesus would leave the earth. And so he's teaching these guys, he's teaching them a valuable lesson. And I told you a couple weeks ago, whenever Jesus is teaching his disciples a lesson, we all need to lean in. We need to scooch a little closer. We need to, you know, get our ears a little closer because Jesus is also teaching us. Because like the disciples, there, you know, we're called to continue the ministry of Jesus Christ, to be his hands and feet, and to move this thing forward. And so Jesus is talking to them. He's essentially talking to us as well. And I want you to use your imagination as we sort of walk through this and sort of imagine what's happening. Jesus and his disciples are sitting around a table. They're not sitting at a high table like we sit at. They're probably sitting on the floor. Table is low. There's food around, right? And so during the meal, after the meal has been served, the meal is in, in progress, Jesus gets up from uh, the table. Jesus is sort of wearing a, a traditional, I don't know, gown, his garments and sort of thing. So he takes out the outer garment, um, and he would appear before his disciples as a servant would. And the servant wouldn't necessarily be wearing a, a normal garment. They would be wearing sort of something that a, a servant would normally wear. And so when Jesus takes off this outer garment, he essentially appears before his disciples as a servant, as a slave. And so what he continues to do is he wraps this towel around this waist, he pours some water into a basin, and he goes around one by one, and he's washing his disciples' feet. Now, foot washing wasn't a particularly uncommon practice. It was considered basic hospitality. When guests came to your home, you, 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 know, you took care of them by washing their feet. Now, you didn't normally wash your feet, but your servants would take care of this. The lowly servants would take care of this. 
And so it's also helpful for us to consider that, you know, most of the travel in these days was done by foot. These weren't paved roads. These weren't socked feet. I mean, these are feet in sandals. And so you can probably imagine that these are some pretty gnarly feet, right? The disciples weren't known uh, for, uh, for their cleanliness. In fact, they're often accused of being unclean often accused of not washing their hands before meals. And my suspicion is that if you struggle to wash your hands, you know, before you eat, (laughs) you're probably not giving a whole lot of attention uh, to your bunion-y feet, right? And so, you know, this wasn't some insignificant task. This wasn't some insignificant thing here. Uh, Jesus is doing something very, very important and so as we look at this, we, it, it, it would be a shame if we just looked at this and go, oh, man, Jesus is such a nice guy. Oh, man, what a kind gesture. This is just sort of one-off thing. Oh, that's a really cool thing. No, this is, has eternal significance. Eternal significance. And so I think a burning question that we should ask ourselves is what does this mean for us? 21st century Homewoodians or Flossmorians or wherever you live, what does this mean for me? You say, I'm an accountant. What does this mean for me? You know, I, I'm a teacher. What does this mean for me? You know, I'm a husband. I got a few kids and a wife. Like, what does this mean for me? Well, I'm glad that you asked. I want to give you this morning a couple of reasons why I think this is important, a couple of reasons why I think Jesus did this. And then after that, I want to get really super practical about what this means, how we walk this out and how we work this out in our life. And the first reason that Jesus does this, he does this as an act of willful Humility. Now, if you're taking notes this morning, uh, which is very impressive, if you're taking notes this morning, I say willful humility. You want to underline that word willful because that's the operative word there. I mean, it's one thing to be humiliated um, and to be abased and have no say in the matter. It's the one thing to have a low position in life and being a servant is your job. It's another thing altogether to be a person of status, to be a person that's important. To be a person that's kind of be of the, be, be, you know, above that in, in class and stature and in means and in wealth and in influence, but willfully humiliate yourself. Jesus does this as an act of willful, willful humility. Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Jesus is a person of power, person of influence person of, you know, who had some say. When Jesus spoke, people listened. When Jesus gave suggestions, people rearranged their lives. So Jesus had been given not just earthly power and earthly influence. We need not forget that this is God in the flesh. And so it's meaningful, altogether meaningful for us that Jesus would humiliate himself. Scriptures tell us that he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying him with a towel that's been wrapped around his waist. This is really significant. Is it that Jesus forgot who he was? No, Jesus knew exactly who he was. He knew what power and authority had been given to him from heaven. He knew where he'd come from. He knew, more importantly, where he was headed But yet and still, he humiliated himself as a willful act of humility. And this is so important for us as modern-day Christians because we live in such a, you know, we live in such a celebrity culture. I know none of you read uh, People magazine or Us Weekly. I know, you know, you don't, you know, bother with those magazines. But we're a celebrity-obsessed culture. 
the beautiful people, the important people. We just want, we just want to clamor. We just want to get a glimpse. And we'll wait in line for hours to just, just, just get, get a grid. And if they get close enough to where we can get a selfie or something, then, you know, that's just, our life is just, you know, that's the apex of our life, the apex of our day, the apex of our week. Why? Because we live in such a celebrity, you know, worshipped culture. It's not uncommon for us to see celebrities being chauffeured. Celebrities don't take the normal door. They have a velvet rope off to the back where they can't be disturbed. We see the best food and the best accommodations laid out for those important people, the special people. Unfortunately, when we come into God's kingdom, uh, Jesus sort of flips that. He says the important people are on the bottom. The important people uh, show up first and they leave last. The important people give and give and give of themselves. The, 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 the important people take off their important clothes and they, do, they don the, the, the clothing of a servant and they get to work and they serve and they get below people. They serve. Jesus says, in the kingdom, we serve. In the kingdom, up is down and down is up. And so what Jesus is demonstrating, no matter who you are today, no matter where you are today, what Jesus is demonstrating is that the way up is down, and he chooses voluntarily to humiliate himself, to make a fool of himself for the benefit of who? For the benefit of others. For the benefit of others. For the benefit of others. My question to you today, as we live in this 21st century Western world that teaches us that strength is importance, and that we should gain as much influence, as much celebrity as we possibly can. My question to you is, what would your life look like if you truly lived it out as a servant? What would your life look like? What would your relationships look like? What would your resource and your money be spent on if you chose to live your life as a servant? To willfully humiliate yourself, and by humiliate I don't mean embarrass, but I mean humble yourself and to be a person who, 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 who chooses not, you know, just sort of random acts of service, but a lifestyle of service, what might be different about your life? What might people say about you? What might their description of you be if you chose to voluntarily humble yourself day after day, moment after moment? What might they say about you? I think they might say about you the same things that I observe about Jesus, and that is that Jesus was comfortable in his own skin. There's a whole bunch that I like about Jesus, a whole lot. I loved how he treated people. I love how he loved people. I love his boldness, how we would speak righteous truth no matter what the consequences seemed to be. But the thing I seem to like most about Jesus was that Jesus was a person that was comfortable in his own skin. Never saw Jesus trying to impress somebody, Jesus trying to puff out his chest, Jesus trying to be something he was not, because Jesus really, really, really understood who he was. And in understanding who he was, he knew certainly who he was not. And so as a discipler myself, one of the main things that I want to try to help people figure out, whether they're young or old, is who you really are, particularly who you really are in Christ. Because when you know who you are, you don't have to impress anybody. 
When, when you know who you are, you can do whatever the situation calls for without fear of consequence, without fear of somebody thinking, you know, something uh, bad about you. You just know who you are, and so you know whose you are, and so you just flow. You have a, you have a swagger that people would kill for. You have a swagger that people would kill for. You know, I used to be really impressed with talented people. Used to be really impressed with gifted people. Used to be really impressed with wealthy people. These days, I'm not so impressed by that. Uh, I'm just not so impressed by that. These days, I'm more impressed with people who just show up and get stuff done and help people. Because that's one of the biggest indications that you know exactly who you are. You're not trying to impress anybody. You're not trying to please anybody. And in the life of a Christian, one of the distinguishing marks is that you will serve, you will serve, you will serve, you will serve. Jesus says this to his disciples in Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. You know that the rulers in this world lord it over people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many men. Jesus said a mouthful there. He said a mouthful there. And what Jesus is basically saying is, you listen, even in the first century, you know, you know, we lived in a celebrity culture where the important people lorded it over people. They wanted everybody to know that I'm important. Hey, I'm somebody. I'm a big deal. But Jesus says, for you, for you, it'll be different. For you, follower of Jesus, for you, extender of the kingdom, it will be different. Jesus says, somebody wants to be important among you, he must become your servant. He must serve. Now, that doesn't mean if somebody comes in and wishes to be a leader, and they say, hey, Gino, you know, I want to be a leader in this church. I want to, you know, I want to lead a small group that I all of a sudden have them going to get my dry cleaning and bringing me lattes. I, I don't think, I think that was a, be a misunderstanding of the text. And so Jesus isn't giving us license to misuse people and to make them our servants if they want to lead. But basically what Jesus is saying is, I don't want you to misunderstand. I don't want you to superimpose uh, the broken worldly culture around us. I don't want you to bring that into my kingdom. I don't want you to bring that into my church. Understand that the important people around here are servants. You don't have a crushed velvet, you know, seat, you know, you get into a higher position of leadership over here. We don't carve out, you know, a, a, a special parking space for you as you become a person of influence. Usually what's the case is the more leadership and the more influence you have, the more work you have to do around here. You know, the farther away we ask you to park. And if I don't get a special seat, then nobody gets a special seat. We're servants. You understand? We're servants. And Jesus says, for you guys, it will be different. Somebody wants to be important. What does Jesus say? You have to get low. You want to be, you want to be important? You want to have influence? You want to do great things for Jesus? Great. Serve. Great. Help somebody? Great. Show up early? Great. Leave late. That's what importance looks like. That's what influence, that's what significance looks like in the kingdom. And so Jesus is demonstrating this with this willful act, this humiliating act of foot washing. 
Jesus also does this as a lasting example for his disciples to follow. And as I told you, when Jesus is dealing with his disciples, he's dealing with us because we're followers of Jesus as well. We're disciples of Christ as well. This is a lasting example. This isn't some one-off thing. This is a lasting example that Jesus wants to permeate our life, our very existence, whether it be on our jobs, whether it be in our homes, whether it be in our local, local church bodies. This is a lasting example for us to follow. doesn't matter whether you're young or old. Verse 12 says, When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked him. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set, what, an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And Jesus says, listen, make no mistake. If the rabbi, if the teacher, if the person who outranks everybody in this room can get up and wash feet, if the word made flesh can take out his regular clothes and don the garments of a servant to wrap a towel around his waist, get low and wash your nasty feet, don't you ever get beside yourself to the point where you can't do the same for somebody else. Jesus said the servant is not greater than his master. Students, not greater than the teacher. And so if you want to be involved in this thing that we call the kingdom, if you want to follow this person that we call Jesus, if you want to have a rich and satisfying, vibrant relationship with the king of kings, within the context of his family, within the context of Christian community, Jesus is giving us an eternal example of how that works. He's saying, get low and serve. Get low and serve. In other words, don't find, don't let you find it anyone in this world that's beneath you. It's beneath you. I've said this a number of times. One of the things I admire most about my father who's gone to be with the Lord is that he really worked hard. He really worked hard to get to know people, really worked hard to make people feel important and to feel special. Whenever I would... Uh, be with him. I spent a lot of time with him, especially as a young boy. Wherever we would go, I just saw him. Uh, he, he would always get, I, I always say he'd always get under people. Now, some of you get under people's skin, and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about he'd always try to get be the lowest in the room. If somebody would tell a story that would sort of, you know, talk about something that they were ashamed of, he always had something that was more shameful that he was willing to share, just so that person just wasn't the bottom person in the room. And he consciously and often unconsciously and instinctively worked really hard to get under people, to get low. And I so admired that about him. And I worked really hard to do that in my own life so that there's no person in this world that's beneath me. There's no person in this world that's beneath me. Because guess what? The people that are beneath you uh, are not eligible to receive God's light and love through you. Okay? People that are beneath you are not eligible to receive God's kingdom kindness through you, his love, the salvific message of the kingdom of God. So I just try to make sure that there's nobody below me. And this is the example that Jesus is setting for us. Make sure there's nobody beneath you. Get as low as you can and have a disposition and live the life 
of a willful, willful servant. It's an eternal example. So you're probably saying right now, okay, so preacher, what should we do? What does this mean for us? So the next time we're at dinner, we're supposed to get up midway through the meal and get a basin and wash some feet? That would be very strange. That would be very strange. And maybe you should try it. Maybe try it in your own house first, you know, before you try it on guests. But I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at here. I think that Jesus is getting at something that really, really distributes itself pretty easily into every conceivable realm of our life. And I want to walk through that uh, as I just sort of wrap this up here. How do we walk this out? Are we to walk around with buckets and soap and wash feet? There are people that do outreaches like that, but I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at. I want to talk to you about a few different realms where I think Jesus really wants us to work this out. And I really work hard to make this a part of the regular curriculum around here because these things are easy to forget. And so Jesus is calling us to be a servant. Jesus is calling us to be humble. And I think the first place he's calling us to be humble and to serve at is at home. Is at home. The people that live with you, the people that love you the most, the people that see you the most, the people that see the real you, oftentimes there's a commonality that we have with those people such that they, they, rather than getting our best, they, they tend to get our worst. Rather than getting our best, they often get our worst. And so I think that Jesus has called us to be servants, especially at home. I think about this in my own life. You know, I go a lot of places. You know, the more, longer I do this, the more I get asked to speak other places, the more I have you know, influence in other circles. And I, I, get, I, I get to go a lot of places. I get to talk to a lot of interesting people. I get to interact with a lot of folks. Uh, but, you know, I can listen. I can come here and preach powerful messages. I can get invited to speak other places and, and just bring the house down. And I can pray for people and give them words of wisdom, prophetic words. I can pray and sick people are healed. I can do all that stuff. I can go rescue cats, you know, out of trees. And I can go down to the boys and girls club. And I go to the, you know, the baby unit in the hospital and sort of rock the orphans to sleep. But listen, if I, if I, don't, if I don't serve the people in my house, then I'm failing at this. If I don't serve my wife, if I don't serve my children, then I'm failing at this. I say that because the real you is the you that, you know, few people get to see. And so, so many of us, man, we will serve so, we serve people, we're just such good guys and such good gals, and, and, and when you go home, like, you're just a different person. In fact, your wife is watching you as you come to church, and she's like, she doesn't recognize you. You're full of compliments. You're full of praise. You, you know, you're sweeping up stuff. And she can't get you to put your fork in the dishwasher. Say, so what are you saying, preacher? If you're failing at this at home, you're failing at this. You're failing at this. And so I've been married to my wife for 10 years. Right, 10 years, right? Okay, 10 years. Seemed like... Seemed like less than that. Ten years, been together for 12. And so I know exactly what it looks like to serve her. I, I know exactly what it looks like. I know how she, you know, likes her food prepared. I know how she, you know, she likes the house. You know, I'm a stay-at-home dad, and so my wife works full-time outside the home. Listen, I just, I know what pleases her. I know how to serve her. You know, when she comes home after a long day, she brings a thing of lotion to me, and she puts her feet 
in my lap, talking about washing feet, right? I know exactly what that means. That's a universal signal for it's been a long day. Don't stop rubbing these feet until I tell you to. <laughs> now, it's usually in my best interest to, to take care of those feet. I'll stop it there. We have little ones in the room. But it's usually in my best interest. But even when I don't feel like it, right, I know that that's how to serve her. That's how, of what pleases her. I got three little boys, seven, four, and two. These kids are pretty easy to please. They're not, you know, they're not very complicated. You know, fruit snacks and, you know, that sort of thing, that, that serves them just fine. But more than the stuff, they like toys and stuff. More, they, they want my time. They want my time. I'm often coming home very late, both to my office to finish up some work, my home office to finish some work, and then my, my middle boy, four years old, he comes in my room, Daddy, in five minutes, come up and scare us, okay? <laughs> come up and scare you? Like, you want me to plan to scare you? I said, okay, I'll be up in ten minutes. No, Daddy, five minutes, we'll be waiting, right? And so I, I agree to that, and he scurries up the stairs, and I can hear him telling us about five minutes, he's coming, you know? And I come up there, I make some type of monstery noise, and they just, it just makes their day. Makes their day. I'll give you a secret, though. I don't always feel like it. Sometimes I'm acting, you know? Sometimes I'm smiling, and I would much rather be finishing some stuff that I'm behind on. I would much rather be in my, you know, my home office fiddling on my guitar, playing my... I would much rather be doing something else. But they need me to serve them. And so some of us have really slipped in this area. We've really slipped in this area. I'm not going to belabor this point, but I want, you, I want to drive this home. Listen, I don't care how fabulous you are outside of your house. If I asked your wife, would she say, this brother gets low and he's a servant? If I asked your husband, would she say, man, this sister, she cares for us in ways that are unimaginable. If I asked your children, what would they say? What would they say? What would they say? And so I'll leave that with you, and I'll say it's your responsibility to serve in your home. Second place I think it's important is at your job. You say, of course I serve at my job, but, you know, I get a paycheck to do so. Well, that's kind of the, what I want to talk to you about, <laughs> right? I've said this many times that I've, I've worked jobs in the past where what I should have done at the end of the week is I should have taken some of the money and said, listen, <laughs> I didn't earn this. You know, I, I took about 25% of my paycheck and I kept it for myself, but I brought you 75 back because I didn't earn this this week. You know, I was on the computer, I took a long lunch, I pretty much was just watching the clock all day, and I didn't give you an honest day's work. I didn't give you an honest day's work. And so we talk about the home, which is very important, but many of us spend many of our waking hours uh, under somebody else's employment hopefully earning a wage. And I just, I just have this thing that, you know, Christians should be the hardest workers. Christians should give their bosses the most honest day work, day's work as, as possible. And some of you, you're wondering why your boss has never responded to an invitation to church. You wonder why your coworkers have never, you know, come to the stuff that you invite them to. They roll, your, they roll their eyes when you talk to them about Jesus. They roll their eyes when you have anything to say that even remotely relates to faith. You know why that is? Because you're a terrible employee. You come in late every day. 
You, you, you steal stuff out of the uh, you know, supply cabinets. You eat people's lunch out of the break room. Stop doing that. You're a terrible employee. Not all of you, but some of you, you know this is you. And it's ruining your Christian witness. If there's any place where you should be a servant, it should be at the place where you're literally paid to be a servant. And so I think that Jesus would encourage us to serve, at least to do what we're paid to do, but I don't think we should stop there. I think everybody in your office is kind of doing that. But I think that Jesus calls us to go beyond what we're paid to do, minimally do what we're paid to do, but I think that Jesus is calling us to ask ourselves, course, how can I represent Jesus at my job? How can I be the best servant that I can be? How can I walk this out in front of the people who I spend lots and lots of waking hours with? What does it look like for me to be a servant in my work? See, some of you need to wrestle with that. Some of you don't because you're fantastic employees, and I think we should just leave it at that. But Jesus commands us to do that. And so we have our kids in the room. I want to talk to you. I, you know, I kind of forgot about you on that first point, being a servant at home. Let's just go back to that for a second. For our kids in here, like, that's not just for grown-ups, right? That's for everybody. Now, everybody's sleepy now, right? We're talking about being a servant. But I think that God commands us, little ones, to be servants at home. I don't think your parents should ask you, you know, have to ask you seven times to pick up your socks and, you know, to pick up the Cheerios that you spill. God has called you to serve and to be a part of that family unit. So I think that's really, really important. And so parents, they're, they're kind of zoned out right now, but tell them that when, <laughs> tell them I said that when they get home. But also, kids, for you, you probably don't have a job, but your job is to be a student. Your job is to do well in school. And your job is to make life as easy as possible for those uh, that share that classroom with you, especially your teachers. And so I think that what Jesus means for us, for the little ones to engage this servanthood is to be a servant in our classrooms, in our sphere of influence and in life. And so I think that not only does that mean behaving in class, but that means looking for active ways, young people, to serve your classmates, and to be kind to them, and to not participate in some of the foolishness that goes along. I think Jesus really wants us to be servants in our places of work and where we go to school. So beyond that, I think we can broaden this to being a servant in the world around us. And this is vitally important because you spend lots and lots of time, excuse me, at home. You spend lots and lots of time at work. Or for our young people, you spend time at school. But lots and lots of that time is also spent just sort of doing life going to the grocery store, going to the laundromat, for those of you who go to laundromat, you know, going to coffee shops and you know, amusement parks and all these sorts of things. And, you know, one of the things that we must consider is that God, you know, this kingdom life doesn't have a, 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 a time clock, you know, where you punch out, right? And some of us, we've just, we just punch out, you know, Sunday at about 1 o'clock, you take your Christian time card over to the thing, you just, you punch out. And you don't punch back in until you get here at about 10.40 on Sunday morning. We start at 10.30, by the way. Right? <laughs> you punch back in. More o'clock again, right? And so I just think Jesus wants us to throw away the time clock because we don't get the punch out. We don't get the punch out. And so you're on duty in the grocery store. You're on duty in the parking lots. You're on duty when you go get a coffee. And, you know, we've talked about this in our last series, Jesus is everybody. Jesus wants us to have our antennas up. Lord, what are you doing? 
How are you speaking? Who can I touch today? Who can I serve today? And you would be surprised what the Lord would say if your antennas are up. You would be surprised at how the Lord answers you when you say, Lord, what are you doing today? Who can I be a blessing to today? And all of a sudden, that cashier that's rude to you, she threw your change, you know, on the table. And you're about to give her a piece of your mind. And Jesus might say, listen, serve this woman today just by being nice and not adding to her pain today. Especially don't tell anybody off if you're wearing your South Suburban Vineyard T-shirts. It would be especially helpful for us if you would be mindful of that. But Jesus is calling us to serve in the world around us. One of the thing, uh, other really uh, important places, the final place that I'm going to talk about today, where Jesus is calling us to be a servant, and this is really dear to my heart, and that's be a servant in your local church. Be a servant in your local church. This is really, really important, and this often is overlooked by those who are seeking to find a community of faith, seeking to find a church. Because what the typical person looks for when they're looking for a church is they're looking to get their needs met. And that's not a terrible thing. It's only terrible if you stop there. And so I don't think that one of the things that should drive you in finding a church is, okay, will this church meet my needs? You know, what, what color is the paint in the nursery? I, you know, I got to like the songs. I hope the preachers, I hope he's decent. I mean, those are really respectable things to look for in a church. But Seldom is it that people say, you know what, I am looking for a church where I, myself and my family, we can go and engage that community and we can serve there. So that it's a mutual exchange of goodness and community and life. I just think that there's just too many people content to come into church and to contribute absolutely nothing. I just don't think it was supposed to be that way. And by I don't think it was supposed to be that, I mean it's not supposed to be that way. I try not to be in any type of relationship whatsoever where I'm just taking all the time. I just think, it's, I just think that's a bad sign. If there's just a one-way street to a relationship or an arrangement, just as one way, I just think you should probably examine that or, or, or tweak that. But many, many people exist in one-way relationships with their church, where they come and they get encouraged, where they come and they get fed, where their children are taken care of, where they come and God's Spirit fills them, and they go off and say, yep, I was good. Or if it's not good, they leave and say, man, that was terrible today. That sermon was horrible. What was he talking about today? Although I didn't like any of those songs. Or my kids didn't really learn anything today. Well, rarely do they go, you know, what did I deposit today? I'm not just talking about money. I'm saying, what did I, who did I encourage today? Like, who did, I, who, who did I look at and say, man, that person could use a hug? What, what, did I look around the place and say, is there any holes that I can fill? Is there anything that I can do to, you know, to enhance things around here? What gifts do I bring to the table? What talents? How can I serve? Where is it that people instinctively ask themselves this question? And so it's no wonder that Jesus talks all the time about being a servant. It's no wonder that Jesus talks all the time about denying yourself, humbling yourself, caring for others more than yourself. It's no wonder he, he says that a lot. I used to think just because the disciples weren't that bright. So these guys, I mean, he maybe should pick somebody else. But the more I look at them and the more I look at me and the more I look at what Jesus says, I realize that Jesus is talking about serving, talking about caring for other people because it doesn't come natural. 
Because our default setting is to be selfish. Our default setting is to turn inward and to focus on our needs. And what Jesus drives home over and over is that this life is not about you. It's not about you. And it's especially true when you come into the fellowship, the community of believers, it's not about you. I really do hope that you get something out of this when you come. I really do hope that you've heard a message that encourages you and challenges you. I really do hope that your heart is warmed during worship. That's our goal. But this is the house of worship. And one of the primary goals of coming to the house of worship is that you bring something with you. You bring your time, you bring your talent, you bring your resources, you bring your treasure. Come on, folks. This is what Jesus is calling us to do. He calls us to serve. And one of the most tangible ways that we can do this is that we could serve in our local church. You probably realized that things are a little bit different today. You look around and all the kids are in here. You came in and there was nobody to greet you at the door. You came in that second door and there was no usher there. If you came on time, you saw that I was leading the worship and there was no worship band behind me. I was sort of passing out these things. Later, I'll take the offering. You'll look back at the sound booth. There's no, you know, sound tech back there. There's nobody running projections. You haven't been able to see the PowerPoints today. Uh, You probably noticed that there's something a little different today. Well, I gave all the volunteers the day off today, at least most of them, right? And we're calling this today our no-service service. And this is just to give everybody a picture uh, that, uh, of what it would look like if nobody served around here. Many of you stop by and you get a cup of coffee when you come in. There's donuts and then there's a Subway lunch, you know, after service. And you just notice that none of that stuff is here. That's all the things that you appreciate. You appreciate that somebody watches your kid and teaches them about Jesus so that you can focus on what's going on here. You appreciate that somebody gets here early on Saturday, practice, you know, a band of people practice the song so that it's reasonably tight on Sunday morning. You appreciate all these things that happen. But guess what? Somebody does all that. Somebody does all that. Somebody does all that. And I'll tell you, it's, it's a little exhausting to have to do all that myself, you know? I'm not complaining because I get a paycheck, right? But that's not how this is supposed to work. It's not how this is supposed to work. Every person with their gifts, their talents, their time, their treasure come together and say, man, how can we make this thing great? Man, I was so welcomed here. I was so taken care of here. How can I help it so that the next person through the door feels that and a little bit more? That's the goal of what our Christian service means and looks like, particularly in the context of Christian community in this church. And so I ask you, for those of you who call this church your home, for those of you who said, man, listen, I want to I wanna plant down some roots here. Have you considered uh, serving in one of our ministries? Have you considered uh, you know, sort of deepening the depth chart at these various ministries? If you came in and you got a bulletin, you noticed that there was an insert in that bulletin, and it's just a little uh, information request card. And it just sort of lists the ministries that exist here in this church. And so it says, hey, I'm interested in serving at the South Suburban Vineyard. Please give me some information about, and you're supposed to check the ones that you're interested in. And this is not a high-pressure thing that says, hey, we're not going to let you leave today until you fill one of these things out. This is just an opportunity of a first step for some of you. And some of you, you know, you weren't trying to be lazy. You weren't trying to get out of it. It just didn't occur to you that we needed your help. 
whenever you come, things are done. Whenever you come, things are in order. There are people there, and they're smiling. They seem to be happy doing it. But here's me just saying that we would love to have your participation. We would love to have your help. Because one of the places that God is calling each of us to serve is in our local church. Amen? And so all those ways are super practical. And many of you, if you're like me, you've got a lot of work to do, especially at home, some of you at work, some of you in the world around you, and some of you in this place that you call home or that you're considering to call home. And so my challenge to you is don't ignore the nudging of the Holy Spirit today. As we talked about those various areas, some of you felt a little tug. Some of you felt like, oh, man, i got to work on that. Listen, don't ignore that today. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you, and he wants you to take action. You're called to serve people. And I hope you engage that in meaningful ways because servanthood is the distinguishing mark of a follower of Jesus. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word and for your truth. I thank you, Lord, for how you call us to action. I thank you, Lord, for how you encourage us when we need encouragement. But, Lord, you also challenge us when we need to be challenged. And so, Lord, we know that you've spoken clearly today. And, Father, I pray that we would just have ears to hear, but not just ears to hear, but um, a heart to respond and to receive. And not just a heart to respond and receive, Lord, but give us courage to do what you've called us to do and to be who you've called us to be. Lord, I pray from everybody, from the youngest to the oldest today, Lord, that you would teach us how to serve, teach us how to be servants. And for those who are failing at this at home or failing at this in our vocational life or failing at this in our world around us and those who haven't considered what it would mean to serve in this local church setting, Lord, I pray that you would give them practical next steps. Give them your wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.